Now this may sound a little simple, <laughs> pretty straightforward idea to start with here, but when you think about some of the implications of this idea, it's also a pretty radical thought, and it's this. Jesus was a human baby. Uh, duh. We just had Christmas, preacher man. Tell us something we don't know. Jesus was a fully human baby with all of the obvious human limitations. This means Jesus didn't come out of the womb walking and talking and preaching the wisdom of God and preaching the coming of the kingdom of God right out of the box, right? Like he didn't just instantly stand up and start speaking the perfect wisdom of God and calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers, though that would be kind of funny coming from a baby. Many of us sort of have this mental picture that Jesus came right out of the womb, stood up straight, and announced to Joseph and Mary in what would probably be an awkwardly authoritative and deep voice for a baby, congratulations, earthly parents. You have born the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You may not fully understand this and what's going on here, but I do because, well, I am the Messiah. I have come to save you from your sins. So I think we'll start with fielding some questions. No, of course that's not how it happened. That's just not how it went down because, newsflash, Jesus was not born a mature adult. In his humanity, he experienced all the limitations of the flesh. Sure, he was fully God, and that means a lot. But in his humanity, at least at this point, he hadn't seen the movie in advance. And in terms of his self-awareness and his knowledge, he was just a baby in a manger, just like every other baby. Which means this, and I, and I think this may feel or sound slightly heretical to some of us at first who grew up in conservative churches, but I think it's true. Jesus wasn't born aware that he was the Son of God. He wasn't born with an awareness that he was the Messiah because remember, he's a baby. He didn't even talk. And despite what we just sang in the Christmas carol, um, he did indeed some crying make. <laughs> in fact, Joseph and Mary, at this point, though they didn't know much, as we'll see in the text, they knew more than he did about him, at least for a little while. So what this means is that at some point, in fact, maybe even before this point in Luke 2, that passage we just read in Luke 2, maybe even before that, at some point, Jesus became aware, think of this, aware that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, which means he had to grow into an awareness of being the Son of God. He had to learn his identity, think about this, the same way we do, using the same means. Now, of course, he did this large distinction here perfectly <laughs> compared to us, but he had to learn his identity the same way we do. He had to learn his calling the same way we do. He had to live by faith the same way we do. He just did all these things perfectly, absolutely perfectly. It gets even crazier. Think about this. Through Jesus' perfect relationship with the Father through the Spirit, Jesus had to grow not just into an awareness of being Messiah, 
but he had to, to grow into the perfection of character that was required to be the Lamb of God who could become a perfect sacrifice for our sin. <laughs> no pressure, Joseph and Mary. <laughs> so what I want to know is this. How did Jesus go from child in a manger to savior of the world? How did Jesus go from child in a manger to savior of the world? What happened between the manger and his ministry? Well, we find our answer today in really the only passage in scripture that gives us any real fodder for this. Uh, the only passage of scripture that tells us anything meaningful about this in-between time from manger to ministry. I love this passage. It's one of my favorites because of how it tells us <laughs> that Jesus had this, this heart, this, this real laser-focused passion uh, to follow the Father closely. And he did, he did so by means of the word of God. Jump in at Luke 2, starting at verse 40. This is Luke describing Jesus. And just look at the first phrase, Luke, 40, Luke 2, verse 40. He says, the child grew and became strong. Luke starts off here by describing Jesus with these two things. He grew and he became strong. The same thing he said about John the Baptist in Luke 1.80. John the Baptist is a forerunner of Jesus, related to Jesus, and he says the same thing about Luke. But notice that instead of just these two things about Luke, he grew and became strong, we get double that here. Keep reading. He grew, he became strong, he was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now press pause here because there's a lot to get out of these four things that are described here. Luke gives us a fourfold description of Jesus as, as a child that is meant to give us this understanding uh, that, that the first 12 years of his life was a growth process. It says, number one, he grew. Now don't just gloss over that. It seems obvious, like duh, children grow. Jesus grew. I mean, we like little baby Jesus in the manger, but we can't keep him there. He, he has to become Easter Jesus, right? Christmas Jesus has to become Easter Jesus who actually <laughs> died for our sins because he was perfect. Got to be fit and ready for the cross. So he grew and says he became strong. This may be about physical strength. It may be about sort of a mental or moral strength. We're not sure yet. But, but what Luke is doing here in these first two phrases, he grew and became strong, is he's trying to say, that Jesus grew just like a normal boy, just like any other boy. But then he adds these last two phrases in comparison to what he said about John the Baptist. Look at this. He was filled with wisdom. This is in addition to his earlier description of John the Baptist in Luke 1.80. It begins here to clearly describe to clearly describe Jesus' spiritual growth. A more literal translation of was filled with wisdom would be he was being filled with wisdom. Which means that Luke is emphasizing a day-by-day -day growth in the application of his spiritual knowledge. And then he says this, the favor of God was upon him which is also an addition to Luke's earlier description of two things about John the Baptist. Here now, Luke is drawing not just our attention to a contrast from John the Baptist, he's also drawing our attention to an Old Testament uh, figure. He's drawing our attention to a description of Samuel in the Old Testament. He was a prophet in the Old Testament, and uh, what you need to know about Samuel is that his name means heard by God, 
heard by God. You need to know that he was raised in the temple. And you also need to know that he is one of the very few in the entire Bible where we have a, a birth narrative, a story of the birth. So Luke is drawing our attention here to Samuel by mentioning the favor of God because the Old Testament says the favor of God was on young Samuel as a boy. In fact, look at this. At the end of our passage in Luke 2.52, where Luke also uh, mentions that same favor of God idea being upon Jesus, it is exactly the same description that we find about Samuel in 1 Samuel 2.26. So to put this all together here, what I want you to notice in these first four phrases is that the description of Jesus is twice the description of John the Baptist's, Luke begins and ends our passage in Luke 2 here by pointing out that God's favor was on Jesus. And then he draws our attention to this description of Samuel, whose name means heard by God, who is one of the very few stories in all of scripture we have of a, of a birth narrative, and who was raised in the temple. <laughs> we tracking? Luke is saying, in effect here, that John the Baptist was great, Samuel was great, but Jesus is twice what they are, and, and this is a way for Luke to say, you think you know what the work of God is, you think you know the story of God, listen, what I'm about to do in Jesus will blow your minds, it's, it's going to far exceed what you know of the work of God. So Luke gives us a story here of how Jesus the baby grew up to be Jesus the Messiah. Keep reading, it says this, Luke 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. <clears throat> now Luke points out here that both Joseph and Mary went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, which is a bigger deal than it may seem because uh, only the men were required to go and very often the women and the children did not go. So he's pointing out that Jesus came from a very faithful Jewish home because it was the whole family going along for this trip. Restraining himself from making a bunch of points about being in worship regularly. Okay, verse 42. <clears throat> he, he just wants us to know that he was a part of a faithful family, and that was part of his experience. Verse 42, and when he was 12 years old, which by the way, is the age that young Jewish boys who show some promise to become a rabbi, a teacher of the law, that's the age at which they would sort of go off to Bible college. When he was 12 years old, they went up because Jerusalem was on a hill according to custom. So his family's on their yearly Passover uh, trip and it starts to get interesting. Look at this, verse 43. And when the feast was ended, long feast, seven days, as they were returning home, the boy Jesus Stayed behind in Jerusalem. Uh-oh. Check this out. His parents did not know it. Which, by the way, parenthetically, can you imagine that conversation? Like, Joseph, we have lost the Messiah. <laughs> Good job, parents of Jesus. Uh, you know, the Savior of the world. Makes those times where you lose the kids in the store seem relatively small. <clears throat> so when the feast was ended and they were returning, he stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him, verse 44, supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, which, which seems at this point like a major oversight. 
But to be fair, it was common uh, for families like theirs to go in a caravan uh, together. Passover was the biggest feast of the whole year. A whole bunch of folks uh, from their family and from their uh, town would have gone together in a caravan. Uh, so they assumed that he was with uh, their family and other people. He was likely traveling with them back home. So supposing him to be in that group, they went a day's journey but when they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances, where's Jesus been? It's been about a day. We should probably look for him. <laughs> and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. So at least, at least they did go back. After three days, verse 46, meaning from the time they left Jerusalem to the time they found him, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers the Jewish rabbis, listening to them and asking them questions. Turns out, <laughs> Jesus was just fine. No need to freak out. It's kind of like, you know, when you start letting your kids have some time by themselves in the room next to you and leave them for a few minutes, and uh, then after 30 seconds you realize, oh, I haven't checked. And then you go in and you realize you, you've been away for five to ten minutes, and they look at you like, I'm just fine, thank you very much, weirdo, Right? Like, calm down, Spaz, it's, it's fine. So Jesus was fine, and Joseph and Mary, they find Jesus sitting at the feet of the rabbis discussing the things of God, discussing what they knew about God in their law, discussing the stories of who God is and, and what he's done for their people, and remembering those things and probably debating some finer points of law. And as they did so, look at verse 47. Apparently, Jesus learned well, which makes sense, he is Jesus. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He spoke with great wisdom that they had never seen in a 12-year-old. And when his parents saw him, it says they were astonished. That word astonished there is the same type of word as the word amazed. It's from the same form. Which is Luke sort of contrasting the people who are hearing Jesus and the rabbi sitting among Jesus going, this kid, wow. Then his parents get back and they're like, this kid, where have you been? When his parents saw him, they were astonished. They were less than happy with Jesus. We know this because, keep reading, his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. But look at his response. I love this. He said to them, why are you looking for me? Did you, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Which is to say, Apparently, they did not know. I think Jesus actually means this question in earnest. Like, did you, did you really not know that I must be in my father's house? Like, how could you not know? You are the Joseph and Mary who were visited by angels and magi and shepherds when I was born, right? Like, have you ever known anyone Anyone else whose birth was accompanied by angels? 
Now to avoid heresy here, I'm sure the real Jesus didn't say it with that teenage angsty vibe that I just did. But you get the point, right? Like where else would I be? How in the world is this surprising to you? Verse 50, they did not understand the saying he spoke to them. So apparently, according to Luke, (laughs) they were not tracking with Jesus. Somehow, still, they were not tracking. Verse 51, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Don't just gloss over this. This is really an amazing statement about Jesus' personal commitment to his growth. Right? Even Jesus apparently has things to learn from his own parents. This is an amazing statement about Jesus' commitment to growing into who he was created to be, which is, by the way, a very good thing. That he was committed to this kind of intensity of personal spiritual growth since there would be no atonement for sin without his perfect sacrifice had jesus not been committed to his growth to become who god called him to be we would all still be dead in our sins so he went home went down with them down because jerusalem was up he came to nazareth and was submissive to them and his mother treasured up all these things in her heart And then verse 52, as we mentioned before, it's a summary statement of Jesus' growth and development. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Which is a pretty cool thing to be able to say about somebody, right? (laughs) Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I love the picture of uh, the growth of Jesus here as a child that Luke has painted for us here in this account. And and real briefly, I think there are three main things I want us to see here um, that are some takeaways for us today. The first is this. It's simply that, that Jesus loved to learn about God through the word of God. Jesus loved to learn about God from the word of God. This was a fundamental part of his growth process and his preparation for ministry. He was found sitting among the other teachers of the law at the feet of the word of God. Simply put, friends, Jesus, he loved to learn about the Father and to sit with others who loved God's law and to discuss the things of God. Do you love to just sit with other people who follow Jesus and talk about who he is and what he's done? Friends, we live, we live in a culture that overemphasizes a, a definition of work and of ministry that prizes practical and hands-on endeavors to the de-emphasizing and even the exclusion of the life of the mind and of learning and of spiritual truth and of deep abiding relationship with God as if those things don't matter. Do not toss aside (laughs) learning and time alone with God and his word as, as impractical. 
we have this sort of attitude like, get out there and start doing something tangible. Like that's what builds the kingdom of God to the exclusion of, I don't know, loving the wisdom that comes from his word. This can be very dangerous and misguided and short-sighted to act like the impractical work of time spent in the word doesn't matter, doesn't count in this world. It's not gonna make you money. It's not gonna establish your, your, your piddly earthly goals. You cannot do the work of God. You cannot do what he's called you to without his wisdom. You cannot. You will build a worldly structure for self. You cannot do the work of God without the wisdom of God. If Jesus <laughs> needed the wisdom of God that comes from studying God's heart that is revealed to us in his word, why on earth would we think of ourselves as not needing approximately a hundred times more than Jesus needed? <laughs> if Jesus just plain loved to learn about God by sitting at the feet of the word of God, so should we. Our needs vastly outstrip his. Second thing, Jesus' mission required growing into maturity. Jesus' mission actually required growing into uh, maturity. Think about this. Jesus' parents are annoyed when they find him and they say, son, why have you treated us so? Now, Jesus answers that question by saying, did you not know that I must be in my father's house doing my father's business? Think about this. Jesus is making a statement about whose son he really is. Even at this young age of 12, Jesus gets it. So when he answers their question, he means it. Like, how could you not know that this is my father's work? My father's called me to something important, and I, I must be ready in ways you can't even see yet, Joseph and Mary. So think of this. Again, if this applied to Jesus, what on earth makes us think? Just at a base level, we don't need to grow, to change, to mature, to keep learning. Once you stop learning, once you stop growing, once you stop changing, you stop saying yes to the mission God's called us to. How on earth can we sometimes be so prideful so as to think we don't need to grow? I cannot tell you how many supposedly grown adults I know who haven't gotten past age 12 because of some dumb personal earthly vision of building their own earthly kingdom that they won't let go of. Some of us should leave this place today praying, Lord, crush my pathetic earthly vision so that I will grow to become what you have for me. All it's going to take is, is a decade or two in your life for you to realize <laughs> what you've been working for has limits. And perhaps your, your prideful refusal to continue to grow 
is because you're realizing your personal earthly vision that you're not building well and that isn't bringing satisfaction doesn't require you to grow. Sometimes we're not in the word. Sometimes we're not in the word because we just plain don't need any more power from God to achieve what we're really trying to achieve in life. Maybe your lack of time in the word has more to do with a personal, piddly, earthly vision that's about a self-salvation project that will find its limit. If Jesus' mission required growing into maturity to achieve it, again, what on earth makes us think we have arrived and we should stop growing? Thirdly, Joseph and Mary's mission of preparing Christ for his mission, it is our mission. This sounds a little weird at first. Uh, let me say it again, then we'll work through it a bit. Joseph and Mary's mission of preparing Christ for his mission um, is our mission. When Jesus says, I must be in my father's house as a statement of his mission, it is also by inference a statement about Joseph and Mary's mission. Think about it. Jesus says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Meaning that apparently they were supposed to know, right? They were given the task of helping prepare um, the Messiah for his mission. And their mission is our mission today. For ourselves, for our children, and for our community. For ourselves, for those around us in our sphere of influence, family and friends, and for the wider community. Meaning meaning that we are all of us who follow Jesus. We are called to know the truth that comes from God's word so that we can apply it to ourselves, to those under our care, and to those Jesus came to save who are all around us in our community. So, taking these three things we've just said, I wanna put them together in a main takeaway statement for us today that accommodates these three concepts, says this, sit at the feet of God, sit at the feet of the word of God so that you and those around you are ready for the mission of God. Sit at the feet of the word of God day by day so that you and those around you, those under your care, those you're called the steward, those in your sphere of influence, that they are likewise growing into readiness for the mission of God. The mission of God in your life is to yourself, it's to those closest to you, and it's to your community. And, and if Jesus required a deep and abiding relationship with God the Father through his word, we can say pretty confidently that for you and me to keep focused and ready for his mission, for us to keep our heads in the game he has for us, it will absolutely require the wisdom of God that only comes from time in his word. There aren't shortcuts. There aren't other options. You do not show up to the grocery store this afternoon and have a consumer's-oriented view of all your spiritual options before you. This revelation of God the Father which reveals his heart is where you will receive the wisdom you need. If Jesus needed it, 
What on earth makes you think you don't? Let's pray, friends. Father in heaven, forgive us for neglecting. For neglecting your written word in our lives. We have more access than any other people have ever had in all of human history. And we are perhaps the most starved in terms of knowing you because of what you've revealed to us in your written word. So we ask, Lord, that you would uh, teach us through it so that as we submit ourselves to the truth, Lord, that uh, the means by which we come to know you, the means by which we need to find our calling, the means by which we realize what you've called us to for ourselves and for those closest to us and the community around us, that the means of that wisdom are in our hands. Father, give us the discipline. Give us the humility so that we would spend time in it, so that it would also be in our hearts and in our words and in our relationships with those around us so that you would be glorified, so that your son Jesus would be held in the highest esteem. Lord, he alone deserves that because his perfect sinless life sacrificed for us on the cross is what turned away your wrath that we deserved. We love you for that amazing truth, Lord. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You sent your son. Thank you, Lord, that he was faithful to that calling. Make us faithful to ours. It's in his name we pray. Amen.